actually something from Chevrolet right now. You know, they always say there's no substitute for horsepower. Well, you can, from General Motors, through their specialty vehicle engineering division, formerly SLP, you can get the new Yanko Stage 2 Camaro. Yanko's a legendary name with performance of GM cars. There was Yanko Camaros and Yanko Novas and so forth. But in this particular Camaro, if you're one of, I guess, 25 people, you can get a 416 cubic inch, 6.8 liter supercharged LT1 based engine that makes a thousand horsepower. There's nothing like a thousand horsepower Camaro. Um, it's a lot of horsepower. Uh, it also gets magnetic ride control, electronic limited slip differential. Bet you need that. Performance tuned suspension with unique bushing, spring stabilizers, heavy duty cooling system, including an engine oil cooler, dual outboard radiators, because, well, there's a lot of heat being generated. Uh, a functional rear spoiler to keep uh, the car stuck to the ground. Also, you can uh, you get Recaro performance seats to keep you stuck in the car. Uh, each of these 25 vehicles will be numbered, include the manufacturer's certificate of origin. Um, I don't know. I don't, didn't even look up how much this costs because it's going to be $100,000. It's going to be ridiculously expensive. But you'll get the manufacturer's certificate of origin. And it's funny how some of these cars... When they make them, they make a very limited number, and they're usually sold out as soon as they come out, and who knows what's going to happen. But if you want to buy one, you can call Specialty Vehicle Engineering at 732-240-3696 or go to specialtyvehicleengineering.com and put your order in if you want to go buy one. For more than 25 years, and I want to say it's longer than that, um, Specialty Vehicle Engineering has been a second-stage vehicle manufacturer in Tier 1 supplier to GM and their dealers. They've built about 55,000 cars, so um, they've built a lot of cars. And they built some pretty unique ones. Coming up, we've talked about the Newport Car Museum a bunch of times. And uh, on October 22nd, if you have a German car, you can go to the Newport Car Museum and get a little bit of a discount going in. Uh says in their little news release here, you most likely don't own an Isetta, the tiny car that saved BMW from ruin after World War II. I don't know if that's really true, but if you drive a German car of any kind, BMW, Audi, Mercedes, Porsche, Volkswagen, you can qualify for a discount ticket to the Newport Car Museum on German Car Day. Just drive your German car on Saturday, October 27th, and join others in the German car corral set up in the museum's parking lot and receive a group discount price of uh, of the $15 admission to the museum. It's a great way to meet other German car aficionados and check out German cars in the museum's 70 car collection. It's the first time I've actually seen the number, how many cars they have there, because when I was talking to the owner's wife, I said, how many cars in here? And she goes, I don't know, Gunther's a little vague about that. I said, how many cars does he own? Even more vague about that. So she said, I think around 65. So I guess it's closer to 70. The German Car Corral and Museum will be open from 10 to 4, and parking is free. Uh, generally, the admission is uh, $18 for adults and $15 for seniors. Military students, uh, military and students, uh, it's only 8 bucks. But uh, it's if you haven't gone, it's worth taking a look at. It's uh, it's a really good museum. And it's, if you want to check out their website, it's newportcarmuseum.org. And you can check it out and see what it's all about. Uh, they have a they have a lot of interesting cars there. They have a lot of a lot of just fun stuff going on that 
uh, you can check out and see what it's see what it's all like and um, just have some fun with it. Why don't we take a call? Let's talk to uh, Tom and Weymouth. See what's up with him this morning. Tom, good morning. Hey, good morning, John. John, uh, quick question. I know you got something going on. No, uh, what do you think? What do you think? Okay. What do you think? I noticed they're replacing shifters now, a lot of automatic, with a push button on the consoles. Have you driven them? What do you think of those? Uh, Safety-wise, uh, well, you know, it, it's funny. <laughs> I've driven, I've driven a bunch of cars lately that have a variety of different shifters, and some have like a looks like a shifter knob, but it toggles. Right. You know, it's like you have to do something, toggle it left and right. And Ooh. I was drive, I was driving a. Uh, uh, and I'll talk about it later, the, the Lexus, fancy Lexus. And still, every once in a while, I'd go to put it in reverse, go to back up. I'm, I'm not in reverse. I'm in drive. Um, I go to shift in a drive from reverse. I'm in neutral, not in drive. And I drove, I, drove a, um, I, drove a car, I drove a car the other day, and it had a rotary knob. And I'm like, how simple is this? You get in it. You spin the knob over to drive or reverse, it goes right into gear. I'm like, so no shift lever, but it was a, a nice little knob that worked really, really well. And I'm like, this is, you know, if you got to do away with things, I drove a, um, the uh, one of the one of the Lincolns, and it had a push button up on the dash. And once I got used to it, it wasn't bad. But when I first got in it, I'm like, how do you put it in gear? You know. And the other thing, the other thing about the electronic ones good or bad some of them when you shut the engine off it automatically puts it in park for you so you know sometimes mm. it gets a little confusing because you'll go to push the park button because some some of these that have push buttons will have a park button you push the park button and in your head you think i shut i just shut the engine off right. well you didn't shut the engine off and if it's a if it's a car that shuts off when it idles you know, you, you push the park button, you shut it off, you get out of it, you know, three or four minutes later, all of a sudden the engine fires back up, and you found out you left it running. So, right. so I, you know, I think they tried to get, I think the car manufacturers tried to get a little too slick with some of these push-button ones, and I think they just confuse people. And that's why um, Jeep went back to a, a different style knob from the, the shifter they had, because... Um, and I don't know who he was. <clears throat> Guy from Star Wars. No, Star Trek. Yeah, I don't know. Star Trek. Uh, he got run over by his own car. He he got, uh, it was in the, one of the newer Star Trek movies. Dennis is looking at me like, hmm, who was that? Might have been the guy who played Chekhov. I don't know. The young kid? No yeah, the young guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah. did. He got hit yeah. by his own car. Yeah, he got hit by his own yeah, car yeah. and killed, I think. Yep. Yeah, so because he got out of it to, like, check his mail. And uh, never put the car in park, and uh, the car ran him over. So you know, again, these push button, these push button shifters and so forth can get a little confusing. And the idea, especially with an electronic shifter, that you can do away with a mechanical mechanism. So you think about what goes into a, especially a column-mounted shifter. You know, there's right. there's a lever, there's a bracket, there's a bunch of pieces that move, a couple of cables that have to move back and forth across. So it gets a little complicated. If you can do it with electronics, it's actually a lot easier, probably lighter, but make it feel like the old shifter, or or do what or do what, um, what Chrysler did and just put a simple knob. You know, it's in park when it's here, and it's in drive when it's here. It's nice and easy. 
Right, right. That's exactly. I don't know why they couldn't have a shift to like make it electronic and have that same feel. Right. You know, like you say, it's all cost and so forth. But I think they're getting just so complicated that there's going to be a lot of mistakes. Well, uh, yeah. And what happens is sometimes they build stuff just because they can. You know, some some designer looked at it and said, "Hey, this is a this is a really good idea. It's fun." And uh, mm. let's let's make it. And, and all the other designers look at it and go, "Oh yeah, that's that sets us apart." And then come to find out, it didn't really work that well. And that's and that's kind of the funny thing, even about autonomous vehicles, self-driving vehicles. You know, we we did a bunch of surveys, and you know, si- between sixty and seventy percent of the people are not all that wild about being in an autonomous car, but yet the car companies are spending literally mm. billions of dollars on autonomous vehicles so you kind of wonder what, what the real thought yeah. is behind that yeah right yeah well all right i guess like i said okay. i've been in the car and it had push buttons and i'm like i don't know if this is really that you know the, the way to go i don't yeah. know just old-fashioned i guess yeah. i'll let you go Johnny. all right, all right. Okay. take care Tom. thank you yep yeah, bye-bye bye-bye yeah they um that actor died in the what i call the year of death 2016 when everybody was dying was he 27 um, you know, joined the twenty-seven club, um, did he? Um, yes, he was. He was twenty-seven. Really? really? Yes. He, <laughs> yeah, Mar- Mar- March eleventh, nineteen eighty-nine to June nineteenth, twenty sixteen. That's twenty-seven. Hmm. For those of us who don't know what the twenty-seven club is, and Gene Simmons just put out a book called really? Twenty-seven. Really? I believe. Yep. What's well, talking the, about all the all 20, the, yeah. The 27 Club is a phenomenon in the entertainment industry, mostly the music industry, yeah. where all the great artists like Janis Joplin, um, the, um, Jimi jo- Hendrix, jo- Jimi Hendrix um, John Morrison, Kurt Cobain, get to about the age of 27 and somehow, some way, whether it's self-induced or what's accidental. Your, what's your name, too? The, um, who was the other? More modern, more modern female singer. Um, oh, yeah. Um, her. Yeah, I yeah. can't think of her name. Whoever right she now. is. Yep. Yeah. Hey, uh, in case you've ever wondered about all this uh, sort of automatic uh, advanced driver assistance systems, according some, to some new research from us, actually, vehicles equipped with advanced driver assistance systems such as automatic emergency braking, blind spot monitoring, lane departure warning, and others can cost twice as much to repair following a collision uh, due to expensive sensor and uh, their calibration requirements. Even minor crashes can cause damage to the technology found behind windshields, bumpers, door mirrors, etc., and cost up to $3,000 in extra repairs. With one in three Americans unable to afford unexpected repairs, a bill of just $500, uh, AAA strongly urges consumers to perform an insurance policy review and consider potential repair costs of these new advanced systems. Um, you buy a car, especially if it's a used car and it's got some of the stuff in it, and you're like, you're like, you know what, I'm going to go with a $2,000 deductible on my car. And you and you back up and you break a backup camera sometimes. Um, and backup cameras are designed to be somewhat calibrated to where they belong, and if you don't have the if you don't have the equipment to calibrate it, you can run into some extra expenses. Um, I was talking to somebody that had an Audi, and it has a front-mounted camera, and the front-mounted camera uh, got hit by a rock, and when it did, it cost um, I think it was twelve hundred bucks to replace the camera, and he's like, you know, I have a I have a thousand dollar deductible. So it's going to cost me a thousand dollars 
out of my pocket to pay for the camera. And who thought it was a good idea to put it up there and not protect it against stones and rocks and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but anyway, it's not a bad idea if you look at some of these things. It, they do have safety benefits, although it's still up in the air how much how much safety benefits there are. Um, the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety, for instance, thinks that any vehicle you buy should have all of this equipment in it um, because it adds to a certain extra margin of protection with with the vehicles. Blind spot monitors. I remember when blind spot monitors first came out. Um, it was it was pretty interesting and, and good technology to be able to take care of that sort of stuff. So if you're drifting out of your lane, you could, you could, or somebody was coming by, you knew they were there. It's not a perfect system though. We've found out that some blind spot monitors actually miss, um, things like bicycles and motorcycles, um, lane departure warnings when you drift out of the lane and it flashes a light beeps, vibrates the seat, any number of things. Um, we found out that's one of the first things people shut off because they're annoyed by it because most people don't drive that well and they drift out of the lane a little bit and the, they don't like the thing working. Or they're driving along by the edge of the road and all of a sudden um, there's a, uh, uh, a line in the road from where pavement overlapped, for instance, or something like that. And all of a sudden you have, you have an issue where there's, there's more problems than you think. So... Just some of the things. Just some of the things to think about as you're buying a car. You can you can look into it and, and see what's going on. Let's see. We have. Uh, I believe we have coming up in just a minute or so. We have Ken Mack. He is the director of Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, and Cadillac protection. On the phone with us is, in fact, Ken Mack, director of Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, and Cadillac protection, to talk about some. Uh, a new program going on. Ken, good morning, and welcome to the Car Doctor program here in Boston. Hey, good morning, John. How are you doing? Just fine. Hey, so uh, so what's going on? Well, kind of explain what this new program is to us. Yeah, it's uh, for the first time ever in the history of the auto industry, uh, consumers can have a choice of the length of warranty, and that's the bumper-to-bumper -bumper warranty on a GM vehicle. So, as you probably know, all, all GM vehicles come with a great bumper-to-bumper -bumper warranty. In the case of Chevy and GMC, it's three years, 36,000 miles. And in the case of Buick Cadillac, it's four years, 50,000 miles. So now, as of uh, last Monday, consumers can pay a little bit more in their vehicle price and have a longer warranty uh, on a bumper-to-bumper -bumper basis that's five years, 60,000 miles instead of the 336. And for Buick Cadillac, it's six years, 70,000 miles instead of the 450. So it's a great thing that's just wicked good for the consumer. And as far as, uh, as far as, far as uh, you know, you buy the car, you buy it brand new, and somewhere, do you, is it something you can decide on after you own the car, or is it something you decide on up front? How does that work? Yeah, this, in this case, this is uh, up front with the vehicle purchase, point of sale, first delivery. So think of it as choosing an option like making your choice, I want leather versus cloth, or I want the six-cylinder engine versus the four-cylinder engine, just like that, right up front. Mm -hmm. And as far as, uh, is, there, is it transferable? So if you buy the car, you keep it for two years, and then I buy it from you, does it transfer to me? Yeah, and that's the great thing about it. We, we call it being tattooed onto the vehicle. So it's, it's like one of those other options that I mentioned it stays with the vehicle, so that gives you real resale value. If you were 
thinking of owning it for you know five or six years and you decide to sell your vehicle after two or three years there's real value there for the next purchaser so you can position that as a you know a tiebreaker between somebody else selling the same vehicle so real value there and this is this is really an extension of the factory warranty and not like an extended service contract where there would be a, a deductible of some sort this is this is an enhancement of the factory factory warranty yeah it's um it, it is the the bumper to bumper warranty it's just a choice of a longer version of it so you're exactly right what what we're comparing with here is what's been out there for 40 or 50 years called vehicle service contracts and those have forms and they have terms and conditions and fine print and exclusions and deductibles. This bumper to bumper has none of that because it truly is General Motors bumper to bumper. It's just a choice of a longer version of the bumper to bumper. So none of those claim forms, uh, you know, fine print, gotchas, it's, it's, mm. you're covered bumper to bumper. Yeah, and I know even with some of the, especially the aftermarket ones, and, and you know, anybody who's ever bought a new car knows that, you know, it, 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 I swear the uh, the the ink isn't dry on the sales agreement sometimes when you start getting approached by third third party vendors that want to sell you some sort of aftermarket warranty and you know and they they sound they sound good but it's always the big print give it and the little print take it away sort of thing and or you find out that two or three years later you go to try to take care of a, a repair and you find out the warranty company went out of business that's not the case because you're buying it from you're buying it as an extension of the factory warranty you're exactly right and and who doesn't love what comes with your general motors vehicle right now you know a great bumper to bumper and, and then the separate powertrain warranty and going to any gm dealership across the country and we have 4300 in the usa uh you know you're getting asc certified technicians that are working on your vehicle you know you're getting genuine GM parts. So it's it's just a great thing for peace of mind and protection. And, and we listen to consumers, and that's what they told us they want. They want no fuss, no must. They want the genuine real deal, and they want choice. So we're giving them that. And I, I was I was just going to ask that question. You know what what prompted this? Was this uh, was this kind of a consumer research focus group sort of thing? And and sat down with uh, GM customers and say, you know, how how can you enhance the overall experience? Is that how this happened? Yeah, it's it's General Motors. We're always striving to innovate and and make you know good things better. And that's exactly what we're doing today with our vehicles, with technology, with uh, trans, with um, engines. You know, it grew, migrating from uh, ICE engines to battery electric vehicles, you know, moving toward autonomy. And this is this is the business that I run, and I'm in the protection business. And, and again, consumers have said for years, and, and they've actually been referring to these things as extended warranties, and they're not. They're, they're vehicle service contracts. So we said, hey, that's, the, you know, the question is right in front of us. Why not have a real extended warranty choice? That's what consumers want anyway. They love the peace of mind that comes with the real bumper-to-bumper, -bumper, and so that's what we've come up with. I don't know. You said you were in the protection business. All I can envision is you go into people's businesses, and they give you an envelope full of cash. <laughs> Different protection businesses. Okay. No, yeah. no, nobody's uh, giving me cash, but uh, you know, i got to give a shout-out to my daughter, uh, Michelle, who lives in Southie, and uh, maybe if I walk down Broadway in Southie, they'll... They'll start handing me cash down uh, there. Yeah, uh, you know, I heard, I heard, you know, I heard, I heard you use the expression "wicked" in there too. So uh, I was sort of wondering about that. No, I've been, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I've been hanging out with her too much. I love getting to Boston to visit her, and uh, you know, we always grab our Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, hey, go go Red Sox! By the way, I'm I'm loving that. So there you go, there you go. Hey, uh, Ken, thanks for taking a little bit of time out. If people want to find out more information about this program, um, maybe in the course of shopping, maybe they're thinking of you know they're looking at they're looking at some competitive vehicles, and they want to find out a little bit more before they go into the the dealership. And I assume this program is starting now. Yeah, it was available as of Monday this week, so okay. uh, they can go to any of the websites, Chevy.com, Buick, GMC, Cadillac.com, talk to their dealer. They're, they're well aware of this, and um, you know they can make it part of their vehicle purchase and, and take a great vehicle and make it even better and stronger by purchasing this at the time of sale. There you go. Ken, thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday morning to join us up here in Boston and you know say hello to your daughter again. Okay, I will. All right. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. So a little bit of information that that's kind of it's kind of a unique uh, program where you can opt. You know, do you get the factory warranty or do you get a little bit more than that? And the idea, if you say, hey, you know, I'm going to keep this car for five years or whatever the case is, and I'm confident in the car, but I want a little bit of extra insurance to make me feel better about it, and whatever the cost is, it most people are going to probably take out a loan, so they're just going to roll it into the loan. I don't know, kind of an interesting thought, and, and you know, if this is something that the GM customers were kind of coming to General Motors and saying, hey, look, you know, we like the car, but, you know, some of the, you know, Hyundais and Kias and Mitsubishis of the world have the six-year warranty. Why don't you guys have that? Well, we do have that. You just have to pay a little extra for it. So that's my problem. One, how much extra is it? Is it financially worth it like do the math of what typically goes wrong with cars yeah. at that point not for nothing but gm is not known for having lately well maybe now after after the whole crash in the early aughts there um they weren't known for having well-built vehicles you start getting the rattles after three or four years and you don't know what's going on there well see that's why that's why you get the warranty yeah but yeah. that's my point they should just my point is is they should just offer it like like the kias and the hyundais and the mitsubishis and soon i i read i heard something that um honda's gonna up their warranties too and stuff yeah like it, that. it's it's funny with honda i saw a quick mention of that too and it's funny you, you'd think of honda as they probably have the most basic warranty you know it's like mm -hmm. three years thirty six thousand miles that's and it. and the, but the cars don't usually break but they have started to break Yep. You know, tra Honda transmissions have not been the best. Nope. Uh, they've had some problems. The new Honda engine design has had some problems where if you drive really short distances in cold weather. So if you drive from here to the T-station, a couple miles, mm -hmm. and the engine never really warms up. And what happens is it doesn't burn off the excess excessive gas that ends up in the combustion chamber the gas ends up in the oil the oil gets diluted two things happen either you start to smell fumes from the car which i still don't understand how that happens or you ends up over time you could do actual engine damage to the car so honda's saying yeah maybe we need to do something about that and honda is looking to try to fix that i don't know how they're going to fix it because it's inherent in the design of the engine but they'll they'll fix it with some sort of software thing where they cause the engine to warm up quicker or or limit 
how well that engine performs in that short period of time, they'll probably come up with that. So you're right. You know, is this years back, GM did extend their warranties on some of their, like, especially Chevrolet and GMC trucks mm -hmm. uh, for a long period of time to try to say, we'll put our money where our mouth is. And, and, that's, and that's what even Hyundai did with trade-in values a few years yep. ago you know there was you know hyundai builds a pretty decent product but everybody says yeah you keep it for a couple of years you go to trade it in you get nothing for it because everybody still thinks they're cheap korean cars and and hyundai said you know what we'll we'll guarantee the trade-in and that was their way of saying we're comfortable with what our car is going to be worth and if you don't get it we'll you know we'll guarantee you get it um it's interesting how gm's looking at this whether it was really a way to extend consumer confidence on the vehicle or it was really a result of people looking at how they want to look at the car in general i it, it's interesting you know be i'd like to be in the room when when they thought of this idea and and why they decided to do it but yeah but you bring up a typical consumer viewpoint on this is is why did they do this is it worth it um you know, GM, GM over the years has built, you know, if you go way, way back, you know, GM was in, you know, if you talk to somebody who worked at GM in the 80s, they were embarrassed. You know, they've, they've built some horrible things. Um, and then, but if you've, if you've ever driven the new Impala or the new Malibu or the Chevrolet Bolt, they're, oh, pretty, no, they're, they're pretty nice cars. The, yeah. I would say anything after like 2012 hmm. on a Chevy hmm. is a pretty, or yeah. GM in general, yeah. is yeah. a pretty yeah. good, is yeah. a pretty decent yeah. vehicle. And yeah. I mean, does it still get the rattles after a certain amount of years? Well, it's inherent it's, in GM because of the way they. It's it's funny. Years ago, and I, 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 I mentioned we were talking before the program went on, we were talking about radio and syndication. And years ago, I did a program on the Talk America Radio Network. And you have to be almost in the radio business to know what that was. But there was a radio network, and it was uh, run by a guy by the name of Tom Starr. And uh, I did his program, and, and he would do this pretty elaborate holiday party every year. So I went to this holiday party, and uh, there were all these radio people. Um, and I'm barely a radio person. and But they were full-time hosts, and, um, and there was... Uh, Jerry Brown was there, the governor of California, because way back then Jerry Brown had a program. Um, uh, F. Lee Bailey's brother, yep. uh, the attorney. Uh, there was uh, there was a lot of there was, and then there was the uh, the, the the health people that you know have uh, you know health products that they sell, and he actually handed me a bunch of stuff to get rid of a cold. And they actually did work. <laughs> it was it was like something something made from daisy stems or something. But but there was this one guy there, and he looked as awkward as I did because we didn't have a real I didn't interact with a lot of them. And I said, "Oh, what do you do?" And he said, "I work for a fastener company." I said, "Excuse me." <laughs> and he said, "I said like nuts and bolts and screws and clips and stuff." And he said, "Yeah." I said, "Who do you sell to?" And he said, "Well, primarily auto manufacturers." And I said, "Oh, huh." I said, who buys the best fasteners? And he said, well, here's the way we do it. When we go to a car company, they tell us they want to attach a door panel to a door. And we tell them, this is the fastener you should use. 
and this is how many you should use to hold it onto the door. And he said, when we go to Ford, we tell them, this is the fastener you should use. You should use this many. And generally they go, well, it sounds like a good idea. And then they order six billion fasteners from us, clips and things. He said, when we go to General Motors, we tell them they need 12 fasteners per door. And they tell us, figure a way to do it with six. And we do. And then three years later, the door panel rattles. And he said, because they want to try to cut costs and... By cutting costs, they cut the amount of right. clips on. That's so. Where, that's where I was going yeah, with that. Yeah, but today, today there's no real bad cars anymore. Car car manufacturers are doing a really good job, and that's why I think GM cars. You know, GM cars. You know, they. I I question a lot of things. You know, the disappearance of Pontiac. I like Pontiacs. The I disappearance of Oldsmobiles. I loved uh, the Cutlass. Yeah, the old Cutlass everybody was in love with. It had some renditions that weren't so great. Um, Saturn going away, nobody, nobody's feelings were really hurt about that, especially in the last few years where they were just sort of another car called a Saturn. The, the idea of the Saturn was really pretty interesting, a plastic-bodied car that could survive being in a supermarket parking lot and get whacked by shopping carts, and it, you know, the... It never dented. Um, everyone had basically the same engine design, so the technicians who worked on them knew how to fix every single one of them because they were all the same. Um, they were all they were they were. It was a pretty interesting concept, and they were non-negotiable. You went into the dealership and you said, "I want to buy a Saturn." And they said it was eighteen thousand dollars, and that's how much it cost. And and they also had a little party when you went to go pick it up. You know, they 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 put the car in a little little enclosure you went in and they gave you a box of candy and said thanks for buying the car and they made a big deal out of it weren't they independent when they first came out and then gm bought them no or something? no no no, okay. no no they were always they were uh, they were always part of a gm division um and then in the later years a lot of their models were opals which is not which is not a bad thing uh, opal makes great cars but it lost its uniqueness at that point so so two things I wanted to, to to one is a question from my son, and then the other thing, my story about my my vehicle this week and why I'm deciding I'm not going to keep it after the lease is up. Okay. First one is my son. Um, he wanted to know how car frames are made these days. Are they in a mold or are they put together piece by piece still, or how does? They're they're uh, well. First off, most cars don't have frames. To speak of. Well, the, the, the you know. What, the what, whole body and yeah. stuff? Yeah. There's a shell, and then pieces are put onto it. So the body of the car has a, it has a type of frame under it that gives mm -hmm. it its, its rigidity. And then things like the doors, the, the front fenders, the hood, the trunk lid are bolted onto the car. Okay. Sometimes things are bolted and glued because when you glue a panel on, it actually even gives it more rigidity and the vehicle manufacturers are constantly trying to chase down uh, NVH, noise, vibration, and harshness. And they want to try to eliminate some of that droning that can happen when a part is actually bolted to the shell of the car. So they'll take a fender and they'll squirt some glue on it, put it on, and then bolt it on, and that gives it extra strength. The rear fenders are welded in place, so spot welded and seamed over afterwards. Um, but, yeah, there's still a lot of parts that are bolted on and bolted off. So, yeah. So I had to get my sunroof replaced this week. Oh, did you finally? Yep. Um, the the gasket came off again, and now and then it started to be – luckily, I got it into the um, 
into the garage at the at the um at the, the dealership there to make sure that like when so when I opened it it didn't close this yeah that that yeah. time it was not closing there was mm. nothing I could do to make it close and he's like oh yeah the gluing of the gasket's not going to work this time I'm like I don't want to glue it anyways yeah. I, yeah. I thought that was a bad idea yeah so it um they replaced it I got a brand new sunroof on there it looks a, it, it to me it looks a little different like from the inside looking out it looks like it's not as tinted as it was mm. when I, on the one that I had prior could be but I've just decided there's a little bit too much going on there for this vehicle that I'm not going to keep it after the lease. I'm not going to not necessarily get another Nissan Rogue per se because mm-hmm. I like I like how it feels. I like how it drives, um, and I think the new the newer Rogues that came out this year have a lot. I'm I'm a tech guy, so I like all yeah. the new tech. Oh, you you'll 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 like autopilot, kind of. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can take your hands off the wheel for a minute, and it'll yep. steer itself um, for a minute. Yep. Uh, but it does have a ton of tech in it. The new the new Rogue has a ton of tech in it. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, by the time, when's that off a lease? Um, another, March will be two years, so another year after another that. Another year? But, but I know they, they start coming at you yeah. when you have, like, eight to six months off it. Right. So I might do it then. Yeah. Um, I also, my other thing that I've never liked about this Rogue is the display on um the backup camera the radio display whatever um it's too small um and the new ones have the bigger yeah display big, yeah every, everybody's going to a bigger bigger display um i've talked about it before the the hyundai santa fe sport that i own the new one that came out for 2019 they all have like a seven inch display where mine has like a five inch diagonal display i don't even um, think mine's five yeah inches. maybe <sighs> it is it's and mine might not be that and it also the new hyundai santa fe uh which took the place of the santa fe sport has all the technology so you can get you can get their lane departure warning their blind spot monitoring all that comes with it where the one that i bought because i'm cheap um i bought the base model which didn't have any of that stuff um, and because it was in the budget point that I wanted to buy. So it was, you know, that's, that was kind of the reason behind it. So that's why I did it. Uh, it is about 9.07. So why don't we take a break, pay some bills. You're listening to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, or 100.3 FM. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Lexus LC500. And we're going to do a little trivia. And we're going to give away a couple tickets to the Connecticut Auto Show, and maybe even the Boston Auto Show. You never know. So stay tuned. We will be back. You don't make the drum pop in a... One compression. Listen to him talk. My 426 Superstar. Jack on the dash and Regina slits. Superstar. Superstar. She's hiding with the whistling. Superstar. And welcome back to the Car Dark Program. Well, I said we'd do trivia, and the trivia prize today, and I mentioned before that at our office building where we are, we're doing a big remodel, and like we've moved our human resources department to where our travel department was, our travel department moved to where our insurance department was, our insurance department moved to a building down the street, but it's requiring people to clean, clean up around and I've been sitting in the same spot for 20 years, literally in the same spot for 20 years. 
And it's time for me to go through a few things. Last week I brought some Matchbox cars in for Dennis's kid. And some of them weren't Matchbox cars. A couple of those were, were little collector cars. But, yeah. He yeah. found that. He's like, oh, this isn't. I'm like, yeah. No. <laughs> the, little, the Jaguar XJ220 is a little collectible. And I think the Lamborghini was a little collectible. But, and the other one, and one of them was signed, one of them was signed by a coworker. So, for whatever reason. Chris Floor signed one. Um, but anyway, so I, as I'm going through things, and people have sent me books over the years, which I'm not a big reader. I flip through them. But one of them is, uh, that I, and I want to give it away to the winner of trivia. It's the book about uh, that uh, Marty Shore wrote. Marty Shore has been on the program a couple times. And it's, uh, it's all about the Baldwin Motion cars. So we were talking about Yanko earlier. Well, Baldwin Motion built high-performance GM products um, through a special dealership. Uh, they did a variety of things, inclu- including a Baldwin Motion dune buggy, I think. Um, a lot of Corvettes, a lot of Camaros, mostly Camaros. They actually tried to come out with a new Baldwin Motion car back a couple of years ago. I think they, I think it was a half a million dollar car by the time they were done. Uh, but they built some really, really unique cars. And it's the history of Baldwin Motion. It's a really interesting book. And uh, it's a book that I kind of like because it has a lot of pictures. Less right, less less words, more pictures. So that's what we're going to give away. We're going to give away uh, the Marty Shore book, and you don't have to worry; it's barely read. Like all the books I have, I I've hardly read any of them. Um, occasionally, I'll lend one out. I have a I have a the the unauthorized biography of Carol Shelby, which we'll give that one away. That I actually gave to somebody who's a uh, Shelby aficionado, and uh, he. Uh, he read it and gave it back. Actually, he had it for so long, I forgot he had it. But he did give it back. But anyway, I, I don't want to move all this stuff, so I'm going to start to give some of it away. I gave away, besides the Matchbox cars, I gave away a bunch of scale model cars that uh, came from Hemmings Motor News over the years, including a, a reproduction of a, an old-timey gas station. Um, just less stuff to move. Just wait till I move from home. It's even going to be... I'm going to be taking... I sold my first thing on Facebook Marketplace the other day. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. There's one more thing I didn't want to move. Anyway, so the trivia question is, and Google it is the only thing I can tell you. Go Google it. What was the first year, only because we're on FM radio, what was the first year an FM radio was put in in a car? So if you know the answer to that, give us a question, give us a call at 617-770-3030. What was the first year that an FM radio was put in a car? And uh, we will give you the Baldwin Motion Book. Well, Dennis is busy. Well, people need to Google this. Because how would you know? Unless you had one of these cars, how would you possibly know? So you gotta you gotta use you gotta use uh, I actually used a book to look it up. I happened to be flipping through one of the books I had, and it happened to mention the first year that uh, that FM radios were put in cars. In the meantime, I want to talk about the car that got me around last week, which I am very sad to see go, and that was uh, the Lexus SC LC500. When it comes to luxury coupes, there are few choices, the Jaguar F-Type. Porsche, Mercedes, but the latest from Lexus, the LC500, is really a pleasant surprise. It's a stunning car. In fact, as I was standing in the radio station last week, 
staring out the window, which I do from time to time, the amount of people that pulled into the parking lot to do work, um, whether they work locally in the restaurant next door or whatever they did, um, the uh, came over and it, I think it got its picture taken a couple of times while it was here. Just a really polarizing looking car. Um, it was photographed, stared at, even one driver looked like he wanted to race me at one point, pulled up next to me and giving me a look. The LC500 is powered by a 471-horsepower V8 engine connected to a 10-speed automatic transmission. The LC500 has seating for four, but it's really suited to two. Uh, the beautiful-looking front seats are very comfortable and supportive and have plenty of adjustments. The controls are well thought out, although the shifter did get a bit of getting used to. And, of course, the navigation infotainment display with its touchpad interface was just too distracting. Um, Lexus likes this, and I just don't think it's a good design. Visibility is very good all the way around, although the backup camera did help a bit backing up. Uh, uh, there is some blind spots to the back. There are some cubbies and cup holders. I could have used a little more room, or I just carry too much stuff with me. The trunk's decent size for this car. The gauges were a flexible design that allowed that uh, changed depending on how the car was set up and what the driver needed to see. Direction for the navigation system. Also, there was a heads-up display, so that sort of 3D floating display in the windshield. That was kind of nice. Uh, when you first start the car, the exhaust roars to life. The neighbors know when you start this thing up. In fact, I heard it start. Oh, the um, when they came to get it, I heard it start up, and I heard it start up, and I was in my basement at the time because they 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 knew I was coming to get it anyway. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a little bit loud when it starts, but um, but once you're driving it, it's it's really pretty quiet until you push it, and when you push it, the exhaust barks, let you know it's a performance coupe. Performance is good, not exceptional. With nearly five, 475 horsepower on tap, I expected more. A little bit of research search shows 0 to 60 in about 4.5 seconds, fast enough. Um, but also very solid feeling. You know, there are faster coupes on the market, but how fast do you need to go? Um, part of the problem may be overall weight. Uh, the LC500 weighs in at almost 4,400 pounds. That's chunky. And that may be why it rides so good. It actually rides really well, so it probably it puts a little bit of damper on the muscle. The suspension is electronic, and the LC, even in the sportiest settings, uh, takes potholes with a fair amount of comfort. The steering is quick, and the handling is very good, in part to rear steering. It actually has rear-wheel steering, so uh, which which gives, the, gives it a little more stick. There are always cars that don't want to give back. And this is one of them. The LC500 by Lexus is beautiful to look at, comfortable and drive, and sounds fantastic. It's also, you would have to win tonight's lottery to buy it. No, well, not really. It was a $100,000 car. Yeah, it looked nice, though. It did. It <laughs> did. It was a nice-looking car. So I went from a $100,000 car to a $20,000 car, just so you know. So, um, And that's the way it goes. You know, it's always good. Let's talk to our buddy Rick in Boston. Rick? Hey there. Hey there. What's going on? Well, uh, if, you, if you guys, any of the listeners ride motorcycle, it's a great day to be out there. I brought it up on my bike for a short run and all. Nice weather out there. Well, it is. It's, all, it's almost 60 degrees out, isn't it? Yeah, stuff like that, man. I, I just had a sweatshirt on, and uh, I was quite comfortable with, you know, with the... Uh, Doing 40, 50 miles an hour. 
All righty uh, then. And uh, um, but uh, I already started putting in um, stabilizer in the tank. Um, you may want to just you know give some suggestions to people as far as getting ready for the winter for both cars and bikes. Well, uh, it's always a good idea if you are going to think about putting things away, whether it's your lawnmower, your weed whacker, your motorcycle, your car. Um, I'm a big believer in topping off the tank and having add fuel stabilizer, then top off the tank and do what you just did. Take take it take it for a little bit of a run to make sure it mixes in there and works around. Um, some people like to drain the carburetor. Some people don't. Um, I'm I'm sort of in between my lawnmower. I could care less about, but I do add I add stabilizer to the gas can, and as I'm as I'm adding fuel to to the lawnmower, it's already st- stable fuel. Uh, the other thing is a gas stabilizer actually goes bad over time. It loses its ability to keep fuel from getting stale. And if you have if you're if you're somebody who uses Stabil, for instance, and you have it in the tin can still. Because it's uh, because it, it always used to say add like six squirts per gallon, so that means you could probably treat twenty five gallons of gas. And if you're somebody who you know mows their lawn on a regular basis, but fills your gas can up once or twice during the season, and you're like, no, oh, stabilizer's still good. Now it goes bad over time. So buy buy new one. And um, other companies have fuel stabilizer too. I'm also a believer in using the fuel stabilizer that is designed for marine use it's more it it's it's just better handles ethanol um and the other one is uh stable also makes a product called uh stable 360 which is which if you believe the advertising is supposed to release some fumes that keep the inside of the, if you have a metal tank is keeps the inside of the tank from getting rusty especially good on an older car especially an antique um but yeah you know you don't you don't need to worry about it too much uh but there is uh you also need to worry about critters moving into your into your vehicle so mice and so forth want to look for a warm home and and in the meantime they chew up wires and hoses and do all kinds of bad things so you got to watch out for that too and i thought of you the other day rick i was uh, i was on a mindless trip through youtube and uh which i sometimes do and i saw somebody put a uh, remote car start in a motorcycle Oh, that's, that's cool. And because yeah, I, re- I remembered one of the, so. I remembered one of the times we were at Auto Toys in Randolph, and you called in and said, "Hey, did they ever, have they ever put a remote car start in a motorcycle?" And I kind of went, "Why would you ever want to do that?" But sure enough, somebody did it. So, well, there's always somebody that do something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's then, always um, somebody. There's always somebody that'll do something. You're absolutely right. Don't forget about the trickle charger. Don't forget about the trickle charger. Why not? Why do we want to forget about the trickle charger? Because you want to make sure the battery stays fully charged. You don't want to let it cycle from from charged to dead. You want to try to keep it maintained. Um, I have a uh, you know I have a battery tender which I plan to use on a vehicle someday if I ever have a vehicle parked that doesn't get moved very often. So I have one ready to go. And I also have, uh, I think it's called Battery IQ or something like that, but it's a smart battery charger. The, the, little, uh, the little scooter that I keep uh, at, uh, down at my cottage in the shed, I have the, I have the battery on a, on, a, uh, on a little float charger down there to help maintain it. But uh, those batteries don't typically last that long anyway, but maybe, 
maybe having maybe having on a trickle charger helps. And same thing, you want to you want to keep that battery maintained, and especially if you store your vehicle in an unheated garage or outside, if the battery does go completely dead, it can freeze because the electrolyte works like antifreeze, and when the specific gravity gets low, it'll turn into water and it'll freeze, and then you'll have to buy a new battery. So there's a lot of things you need to do. Yep, yeah, and hopefully you did all those things to your snowblower, so when you go to drag that out uh, in the wintertime, it's going to start up and work the way it should. Well, let me say this. I have an electric uh, snowblower, and I have an electric lawnmower, and because uh, I don't like dealing with the uh, gas and the engines and the spark plugs and all that stuff. Well, I, I, I can understand that at... Uh, uh, I have I have uh, I have an old gasoline snowblower that I've been tinkering with uh, that I think came out of a junk pile, uh, but it is uh, but I'm trying to get it ready, trying to get it ready for winter. And uh, yeah, I have an electric lawnmower too, and all I ever do to that is plug it in. Yep, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Okay, Rick. Okay, have, have a good one, John. You Bye. as well. Take care. Bye bye now. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Let's go, to, let's go to Paul in Braintree. Paul, is that you? Yeah, it's me. Excuse, oh. excuse the cold here. So. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, you, you sound like you're calling yeah. in through a voice describe. Yeah, well, you know, it sounds that way. <clears throat> it's, <clears throat> it's certainly disguised to me, but that's there you go. okay. <coughs> excuse I guess everybody has whatever I have. Well, every, everybody has what you have, or or else what they're saying is it's just allergies. It's just allergies. Yeah, I, 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 well, well, I don't know. So could be. Fun. Could be. But anyway, um, I'm calling about um, I had uh, the front brakes in my car uh, uh, replaced about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I brought it back to the mechanic uh, to look at it because if I make a hard stop uh, with the car, I feel the uh, the wheel jiggling, and it yep. almost feels like the uh, the uh, front wheel is is kind of not round. Is mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, so there's, sorry, a, they, hmm? there's a brake so rotor that's not around. Yep. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. There's a brake so rotor that's not around. Yep. Yeah. So they re-inspected and said there was you know hardly anywhere on the brakes, but they didn't do anything about it. So I don't I don't know uh, uh, when I go back to them because it uh, I had to come to a hard stop the other day, and I really I really felt that pumping. When I was coming to a stop, I said, I don't, "This isn't right." And, and uh, if if uh, if I have a little wear on the brakes, uh, I wonder what the problem is. When I had the brakes replaced, I brought it back after a couple of weeks because one of the I don't know if it was a rotor, one of the something was defective, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> they replaced it. So I don't. Uh, so you know, that's, that's as much as I can tell you at this yeah. point. And what what they should do is they should offer to resurface the front brake rotors. Okay. And, um, and I assume that they're in good enough shape where they can do that. They'll probably, there's, there's two ways to do it. They can either take the brake rotors off or, and put, do them on a lathe, or they can do them using an on-the-car brake lathe, which is a nice way to be able to do it. That's going to get the rotors good and uh, parallel or perpendicular to um, 
to the car parallel to the brake pads that will eliminate the vibration when you go to jump on the brakes because what you have is pretty typical of a brake rotor that started to go a little bit out of round um, it can happen do you know did they replace the brake rotors two years ago when they did the brake job uh, I believe they let me see uh, I'm looking at I guess they, it says rotor disc brake I think they did Okay, if if they did, um, they, they, they that tells me there's plenty of material left to try to resurface them. Um, it really yeah, that. yeah. So I would I would go back and just say to them, hey, look, you know, I don't really like this vibration. Can we resurface the brake rotors and and see if that takes care of the problem? Because more than likely it will. Um, if you said to me when I step on the brake from a, an aggressive stop and the body of the car shakes, then that would be more that would be more a rear brake problem. But if you're feeling like a jiggle in the steering wheel when you step on the yep. brake, that means that it's a front brake rotor problem. And uh, I would, you know, if it was if the brakes were worn out, if the brake pads were 90% worn, then I'd say, yeah, just get new brake rotors again and new brake pads, and it'll be good for another, you know, however many years. But where the brakes are in really good shape. Uh, there's the brake rotors are there, you know, there's a brake rotor and they can actually measure them. They can actually take a dial indicator and measure them and see if they're really out of round or not. But chances are you, you have the typical symptom of a, of a brake rotor that's out of round. And, and I would just, I would just, uh, resurface them and go from there and see what it's like afterwards. Oh, uh, good. I just had, they just replaced my rear brakes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the, I know those are fine. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I you know and they probably just looked at the brakes and said, hey, they look good. They they look great. There's no, but the idea that they didn't give you a solution is kind of funny. Yeah, I was yeah. unhappy. Yeah. to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, and uh, uh, but I'll go back to the owner. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, you know, to say you know this this is it. I mean, they're they're very trustworthy. Yep. But, you know, they just well, it, at least they at least they didn't want to overspend your money for you. So. I appreciate that. Yeah. Is that expensive to resurface the rotors? Um, no, and there should you know there should be some you know some obligation in there. It's going to take it's going to take an hour maybe. So you know they you know could you know they're going to ch obviously charge you, but you know they they charge you to do your brakes, and you expect them to last longer than that. Brake rotors can get out of round for a couple reasons. Sometimes if tires are rotated and they're over-tightened. That is the key thing that knocks brake rotors out of round. The other thing that can cause it sometimes, if you're in a situation where you're riding your brakes because you're stuck in traffic, stuck in traffic, stuck in traffic, and you hit a puddle, a puddle of water in the road, and the rotor cools very quickly, you can knock the rotors out of round. I, I, came, I came off the highway one day, um, uh, stop-and-go traffic, stop-and-go traffic, car was car was hot brakes were hot and the car was filthy i took it to a car wash went through the car wash came out and the brake rotors were out around because the rotors cooled so quickly from the water from the car wash it actually knocked the rotors out around so um things things can happen uh you know you, you drive down mount washington you ride the brakes the whole way at the end at the end of the road your brake rotors are out around so um you know, it can happen, but tire rotation is one of the keys, and that's why it's so important to, uh, when you rotate the tires on your car or replace the tires on your car, that they, they put the tires and wheels on, snug them up, and then tighten them down with a lug wrench, I mean, a torque wrench to make sure they're tight properly. Well, I have no one, so I know about two years, but I haven't had them rotated yet. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, so. One thing I know uh, I'll do, because I, I can shift, um, I put it in uh, the gear in the uh, uh, 
I can shift the car. Yeah. I don't, yeah. My brain is foggy too. And uh, if I'm in um, if I'm in traffic like that, I'll, I'll shift down instead of using the brakes. So I mean, the first or second. So, but someone warned me that's not good for the transmission. Um, so it's not. It's not so bad for the transmission, other than you're you're moving the transmission shifter a lot more than you need to. Um, you know, they, they give you that option to do it. People do it. I if you, if you were doing it at higher speeds, but if you're just going thirty and you click it into, you know, yeah. the lower gear just because. Um, I don't. I don't know that it really puts that much stress on the transmission. If you did it, if you were driving it like a sports car and you were going around twisty a twisty Vermont road and you were, you know, going from sixty to thirty and downshifting mechanically with it, yeah, you're going to put undue stress on the transmission. But you know, in traffic like that, not really. More you're going to yeah. more you just put more wear on the shifters, moving it back and forth. So okay. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, one or the other, but I just thought it was saving the brakes yeah. a little bit. Back, I've, been, back. I've been doing it now because I hear I feel that vibration, yeah. and if I shift it into second or first, uh, it seems to counter it yeah. a little bit. Yeah, you know, back the back in the yet. old days, people downshifted cars all the time because brakes were awful. Brakes didn't work yeah. that well, and now brakes work really well, and you don't really need to do that. You can, but you don't need to. No, good. Okay. Well, thanks. All I'll, right. I'll take it back next week and let right. you know what happens. All right. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Good luck with the cold or flu or whatever you have because people have it. So I got stuck. I got stuck. I moved and I got stuck. Yeah, and um, Peter just called back. He was holding for trivia and he called back and I just dropped him by accident. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Peter. It's not that we don't want to talk to you, Peter. Call back again. Dennis got confused. No, he didn't. The phones well, got confused. Yeah, I was getting ready to drop the caller so we didn't hear that. Yeah, I know. That we I heard. That you heard anyway. Yeah. So it, it happens. It happens. Anyway, our trivia question is, what year did FM radios appear in cars? What was the year that FM radios appeared in cars? And you will get a copy of, um, of a great book about the Baldwin motion cars. And uh, that is from Marty Shore. Marty Shore. Marty Shore is a pretty cool guy. He uh, he was. I met him when he was the Buick PR director, and uh, he was just. Uh, he lives in New York. He lives in Sarasota. He runs the uh, the guys having lunch in their fancy sports car group. Um, we talked about that on the program here. He's just he's he's an older guy, but he's just he's really an interesting guy and. Uh, and uh, and, he, and he loves cars and and he loves car people, which is even better. So let's see. Let's let's go to Peter first, since we since we hung up on Peter once. And I say we because I was partially responsible somehow. Well, let's try Peter. Peter, is that you? Hello, hello, Peter. Hi, John. Yes, sir. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't Google anything, and I probably should have, but um, um, I was wondering, could you tell me if it's a domestic or a foreign car? Um, I'm assuming it was a foreign car. Really? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, by any chance, was it a Porsche? I want to know what year it was. What <laughs> year did they put it in? All right, I'm going to give a shot at it. I'd say... Uh, 1948. Uh, that would be a good shot, but it's wrong. Yeah, all right. Uh, I know that you know, the Porsches had yeah. blue points radios available way back. 
and because uh, I had one. Yep. You know, so uh, but it was worth a shot. It was worth a was shot. It, was it was a warm? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. But that's all right. That's all right. You've won before. before. It's okay. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Peter. Well, I, I, you know, I, persistence prevails. I that's right. That. That's right. All right. Good, all right. good try. Thanks, Peter. Nice. Bye, yep. bye. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030 is our number. Let's talk to Eddie. Eddie. Yes. There you are. Yes. Do you have a guess? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was on the radio. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> I was listening to it. Uh, yes, it was the year I was born, 1952. You are correct. It was the first uh, first radio with FM came out in 52, and it was actually put in a 1953 car. It was the Becker Mexico radio, and it was the first premium in-car radio because it had AM and FM. Yeah, I remember growing up, my father always told me, you were born when the first FM radio was put in cars, but he never told me what car it was put in. Yeah, it, it was, uh, I, I, I want to say it was put in a Mercedes or a BMW, but that's just my Not guess. Surprised. Yeah, um, the first commercial in-car radio, in case you're interested, was the Galvin Brothers expensive, they, they put a radio in the Model A Deluxe Coupe. The car cost five hundred and forty dollars. The radio cost one hundred and thirty dollars. Can you imagine? Uh, I, yeah, I can't. I mean, I yeah. right now I have a Model A with no radio. Well, if you can find the Galvin radio, it probably double the price of the car. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I never, and I this when I was, I and I just stumbled across this doing something one day, and uh, yeah, that was the first commercial in-car radio. It was the Galvin Brothers, expensive $130 radio. The, in 1952, it was the first radio with FM, um, uh, and that was the uh, uh, Blaupunkt uh, introduced the first in-car FM, and the Becker Mexico radio was introduced in 53. That was the iconic, they describe it here, iconic Mexico radio launched in 53, but the radio was 52. And then um, first music on demand was uh, 1955 when Chrysler uh, when Chrysler put uh, the, that little turntable in their cars. The record, you're right. Yeah. Imagine how good that worked driving down a bumpy road. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't work at all. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't realize that the first all-transistor radio in a car was 1963, and then they took them out afterwards because... Um, they decided that those were too expensive to make, so they put in they put in a combination of tubes and transistors. But the all transistor one was too expensive, and then uh, you know the the first eight track tape player. I I love eight track tapes. I don't know. That was nineteen sixty five, and uh, I never realized the first stereo radio didn't come out till nineteen nineteen sixty nine. Huh. <clears throat> Yeah, I guess well, they didn't really yep. start recording in stereo until the mid '60s. Yeah, so um, and and then for those who are old enough to remember, uh, there were a few radio stations like WBZ that was AM stereo. Yeah. Yes, I do remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and every once in a while, I'd get into a car and the stereo light would come on on AM, and I'd be like, "What the? What the? What's that?" And yeah, WBZ used to broadcast an AM stereo. And there was a radio station out in Marlboro, WSRO. And I, 
actually was there for a while, and it was sort of the guy who owned it was uh, um, originally started. Ended up he was, he was a judge, but he bought this radio station, and he had a choice way back then of um, when he when he bought the station, he had a choice of AM stereo or FM, and he said no one's going to listen to FM. And he bought the AM stereo station instead. Probably today wasn't such a good idea. No. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Stay right there. Dennis will get down your address and we'll send you a cop. We'll send you. Uh, we'll send you Marty Shore's book about Baldwin motion cars. Thank you, sir. All right. Have Thank a great you. Weekend. All right. You as well. And uh, going back to my little list here because I think it's a little bit interesting is uh, 1982 Bose becomes the first premium stereo system. Uh, cassette players were first introduced in 1970. The rollout of cassettes allowed for one of mankind's greatest achievements, the mixtape, it says here. I remember it was it was early 70s, and I somehow managed to squish a cassette player onto a bracket and stuck it under stuck it on the, the shifter hump of my car. And I don't know where this cassette player came from, but it was the size of a um, it was probably this. It was probably the size of a Playmate cooler, and it was a cassette player. And you know, now that I now that I know the first stereo was in 1969, I guess when I added that second speaker to my car, I guess it really wasn't stereo. But it was pretty impressive, though. Nice. I had sound just, in the front and the back. You still, it just had fuller sound. <laughs> I did. It was, yeah, exactly. In 1985. First factory CD player. And now you get in cars and they don't have, some Some don't even have CD players anymore. So um, one of my ex-girl, my, my long-time ex, my long-time girlfriend at the time. Is this um, a good thing to bring up? Yeah, it's that, fine. Don't worry about that, it. That you've yeah. been married. You've been 20, married. I've been married your, 20 years. Your anniversary of, yeah, was yeah, this yeah, year, this, this week? This past Wednesday, yes. Yes. Um, no, it's fine. I still talk. We just had um, her nephews over our house last okay, weekend. All right, so, all right, okay. Um, he I had, don't want you to get in trouble. Her dad had a, a, a Chevy Z28. Yeah, yeah, Camaro. Cam- no, 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 not the, not the, it wasn't a Camaro. It was... Um, Z24? Yeah, Z24. So Cavalier? Cavalier, that's it. That that's awful. the word. What an awful car. Yeah. Um, well, this one was kind of neat, but anyways, it had, it was in the, it was a mid-80s car, and yeah. it had AM stereo in it still. Yeah, yeah. No, there was... Uh, uh, like I said, there was. A, it'd be interesting to see now because now we're starting to see a little bit more proliferation of HD signals. So you listen to some stations now, and there's a there's an HD two and an HD three, and sometimes those are are the uh, same company owns an AM station, and they put their AM on the FM so people can hear it there and so forth so yeah the problem with hd hd radio is that it's very limited in its range range yeah it is it is like if i want to listen to a boston hd station on the south shore i have to be up on a hill Mm -hmm. because it 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 barely gets there but it does when it was originally introduced and i was at a meeting where it was originally introduced it was supposed to be to give fm fuller sound Mm mm-hmm so it really had nothing to do with adding an extra frequency. It had to do with making FM sound as good as a CD. Yeah, it could get through the 
alleged tunnel. Well, it allegedly could get through the tunnel that right. was being built in Boston, right. which it does. Which it does. But what it was really supposed to do, though, is give FM that true CD style sound. And instead, car instead radio companies said, you know what? We can add an extra signal. We add an extra signal that gives us an extra way to sell advertising. And if we sell extra advertising, we can make more money and build more radio stations and all of that sort of stuff. So so there's a little history in car radios and and so forth. And I don't know if anyone was interested in that but me and Dennis, but I hope so. Um, the Green Car Journal is identified finalists in the high-profile Green Car Awards program it uh, hosted each year in San Antonio. Finalists for the 2019 Green Truck of the Year includes the Chevrolet Colorado, Chevrolet Silverado, Ford F-150, Ford Ranger. Doesn't exist yet. Ram 1500 making the cut as finalists in the commercial Green Car of the Year. Ford Special Services plug-in hybrid sedan. Um, Ford Transit Connect. Mercedes-Benz Metris and Ram Pro City. Uh, there's no doubt, it says here, this is a hot year for pickups and light commercial vehicles, according to Ron Kogan, editor and publisher of the Green Car Journal. Um, Ron and I know each other because the New England Motor Press called the winner of one of our categories the Green Car of the Year, and that's a name he trademarked, so he called us up and told us to stop. So we called it the Green Vehicle of the Year, and then we were all happy. So... We didn't break. We didn't break any rules. It's sort of like, I don't know. It's sort of like the uh, the Budweiser commercial with the whatever their term is. They hear hear ye hear ye. Let's take. Uh, what are we supposed to do? Let's take a call first and then take a break. Let's talk to uh, Mike in Bridgewater. Michael. Morning, John. Good morning. Um, Lexus LC is quite the vehicle. Uh, it's stunning to look at and. Uh, and stunning to pay, and stunning to pay for. <laughs> exactly. I could have nice. bought at least four of my cars for the price of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I will say this. You know, when you sit in it, uh, you look. It really does uh, that cockpit feel, and, and uh, the car is absolutely gorgeous to look at. Um, uh, the reason I call this is kind of coincidence. Um, a while back, I had heard that the Prius was having a recall on its hybrid system, and um, I have a Lexus hybrid, and I was wondering, is there something that would happen in the Prius that, you know, I've heard nothing from Lexus about it, or you were talking that even within certain, you know, trim models or mm -hmm. whatever, that that much difference, I know you were talking about that a little while back, is that something that I should expect to happen, be concerned, or is it really that much difference between the you know, the Toyota Prius hybrid system and the Lexus one, because I thought they were always the same. Well, yeah, but sometimes all it takes, depending on what the recall was, and I don't remember what the recall was on the Prius, but depending on what the recall is, it can be a matter of where a wiring harness gets routed on the Prius, which would be different than where the wiring harness gets routed on your car. Or it can be where the battery placement is. Or it can be battery management. So the battery management system in the Prius could be a little bit different than the battery management system in the Lexus. So it's not unusual. And the other thing is, it doesn't necessarily mean every single one of these cars is going to be recalled. It can be the ones made between January 1st and February 17th or something. So you can see okay. a, you can see a variety of, you know, ways that cars can be recalled and they don't. The um 
the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration website has a way now that you can put in the vehicle identification number and you can tell whether your your particular car is going to be is going to be recalled or as subject of a recall. So you can go to uh, nationalhighwaytrafficsafety.org, so nitsa.org, and then you okay. can and then you can you know get your registration out and get the 17-digit vehicle identification number. And uh, there are no there are no let's see if it has a zero if it has something that looks like a zero. It really is a zero and not an O, I think. I'm okay. Trying, I'm trying to remember. And now, now that I, just as I started to say that, I got confused. Alphanumeric? Is that what you're trying to say? No, it's because you look at you look at your registration. Yeah. You go, is that a zero or, or an O? I and think I'm pretty it's, sure. Yeah, you know, you wish they put. I'm a, pretty sure there's no O's. Yeah. Well, okay, because yeah. that's interesting. I always think, gee, why don't they just put a slash to it to make it a zero, and then there's no question about you, you, it. But. You, would, you would think, and in my in, in my lousy handwriting, when because I'm probably like everybody else who you you know you keep your secret password somewhere and stuff, and you know, and I have to I have to do that because I can't tell my zeros from my O's either. So I have to draw a line through it so I know it's really a zero. I do the same thing, and sometimes I'll actually write underneath the zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I have to, I have to write a line under it where it's a capital because of my horrible handwriting. So, but anyway, yeah. All right, so, I would, so I would, I would check. You know, go on, go online to Nitsa's website. I do it periodically. In fact, my wife's car was recently recalled, and um, I looked, I looked to see what was, whether it was up there. And when I went to look. Um, they were updating their website, so I, I I couldn't even I couldn't even look. But prior to that, I I do look from time to time just to see. And sometimes you'll find that in Canada they recall cars first, and then it comes out second. In the United States, sometimes it's the other way around. So it's not unusual that sometimes the first series of recalls happens. But you know, my a car two cars before the one I'm driving now, it had four different recalls to it, and none of them amounted to anything it was like a piece of foam around the jack handle um, a sticker for that needed to go in the glove compartment it was a bunch of little very minor things and and when I went in I actually went in for something and they said hey there's four open recalls and it took it took more time to do the paperwork than it did to do the recalls so yeah, yeah. okay uh, yes, I thank you for your information. Right. I will. All right. I thank you. All right. Take yeah, care, bye. Mike. Yep. Bye-bye. Yeah, have a good day. Bye. We need to take a break, pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. We will be right back. There's a little car that I need to fit in the comfort and fit in the Dennis hates me. He hates me. We're not doing this. We are doing it. We're not doing this. We are doing it. 
we stop arguing. We'll just do it. We're giving away a pair of tickets to the Connecticut Auto Show. First caller in gets them. How's that? Okay. That that easy for you. And let's go to who are we talking to? David and Needham. David and Needham. We'll talk to David and Needham. If you want a pair of Connecticut a pair of tickets to the Connecticut Auto Show, which is taking place at Mohegan Sun this year. Um, Give Dennis a call. Tell him tell him happy anniversary, and he'll write down your address, and he'll give you tickets to the Connecticut Auto Show. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing, John? Good. How are you? <clears throat> good. You had a couple of things there. Um, the fellow was his name, Paul. It was road problems, supposedly, yep. Yep. or something. It's really a warping. It's not an outer round. Outer round is the circumference of the, of the uh, road, you know, of the yeah, rotor itself. I'm not going. I'm not going to disagree with you. You're right. Yeah, and but that's but number one. But, 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 but it's easier. But it's easier to describe it as for people to understand it as warping. Well, it's well, warping is what it, uh, yeah. the brake surface yeah. works against. Right. You know, right? Yep. And yep. Uh, having that, you ought to check the uh, caliper slides because that does the same type of mm. thing. If your yeah. caliper slides are not lubricated with each change of pads and everything. We're going to have it. You, uh, you would hope the shop that did the brakes two years ago and recently, yeah, recently is, inspected them. Yeah. Now, how do you inspect? How do you inspect a, a um, uh, you know a, a rotor and uh, braking? You don't. It's not like inspecting the parts on a drum. All the things well, that should be in position, and well, then looking. They're uh, looking at the surface, I mean, the, I, the material. I I always do because when I when I used to look at brakes on a regular basis you look at pad wear and see if it was uneven that's what i'm and, saying yeah, you're just looking so, at pad wear yeah, that's all but, pad but or in the back shoes yeah but if you saw that the inside pad was worn worn right. than the outside pad you knew that the caliper slides were sticking and that's right and, you know i would take i and i i think i finally just gave it away uh, because I was going to never use it again. Uh, I sure. had I had a magnetic dial indicator that I would use, and I, ah, would, I would run I against would, it. Yeah, run against That's it. And I could I could tell I could tell, you know, I could look at the rotor and find out what was going on with it. Yeah, that would show you that it was going in and out. Absolutely, uh, almost like a warping of the yep. thing. And, and they do warp some of them, oh, yeah. uh, especially the steel coming from China today. With our old steel being I, 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 you know, I used to joke that I'm. I was pretty sure some of those rotors <laughs> you could actually read. You could read Coca Cola in them because they they recycled <laughs> Coke cans and made them into brake yeah. rotors. But yeah. Oh, uh, listen, I saw it in years ago. This was back in 1960. The Rambler wagon when they first came out with them, you know, they were in yep. the uh, economy mode then. Uh, he had the door panel off the thing, and it had an old—I don't think it was oil. Them, I don't remember what the oil thing was, yep. but it was still the distorted. Uh, you know, wow. the, the well, graphic was still on the inside of the door. I'll never shade, forget that. Shades, shades of Henry Ford. You know, they're making door panels out of fifty-five gallon drums that had oil in them. <laughs> Yeah, so right, like Henry right. For, Henry Ford, what what was the legendary thing he had? He had shipping crates made a certain size. You know, they were for the batteries. Yeah, he yeah. Shipped, had a, the battery manufacturers had him do it, and he would take them apart, and that would be his uh, floorboards right. on the uh, yeah. Model A's. That's right. Uh, and fit exactly in there. He was a clever uh, bugger. Yeah. <laughs> he was another word. Uh, he was also that. I got a quick question for you. Can you remove cruise control from cars? Or does it entail a lot of baloney today with all the stupid well, computer stuff? Well, you know, because it's it's so electronic, it uses the throttle. It uses the electronic throttle. It's different than when it was a vacuum yeah, diaphragm. You could simply unhook it. But today, but today, the the idea of trying to disable it. 
I guess you could go in. I guess you. When was it? When was it? Uh, you know, vacuum dye. Uh, uh, I mean, I think I think they've been pretty much all electronic in the last seven or eight years, maybe. No, I'm talking a twenty-year-old car. Oh, twenty-year-old uh, 20 car. It's you. If you open up the hood and look to where the throttle is, yeah, you'll probably see, a, see, you'll probably see a vacuum yeah. diaphragm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah, I don't want to get into more than yeah. it's. Uh, but it's just a stupid thing to put in there. I've never used one in my life, you know, driving. It's well, you, you know, it's, it's funny. If you, were driving, if you were driving out in the Midwest and it yep. was, you know, f- completely flat, no cars on the road, you know, you'd, you'd set the cruise control at however fast you wanted to go. And, you you, you know, keep, <laughs> keep, but around here, there's no place no. to use cruise control around here. That's exactly. You know, I go out to the Mid, you're exactly right. The old 70 out there yep. and everything, 71 yep. is yep. in Ohio. But they have beautiful roads out there relative to us. Yep. It's just the world of difference. That's right. How they maintain them. It really is. Okay. All right. Take care, Dave. other information. You All likewise. Right. You yep. take care. Have a good weekend. You as well. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye. Well, I mentioned that it was, uh, it was Dennis and Libby's 20th anniversary this week. So happy anniversary to them. Thank you. It's my wife Joanne's birthday was this week. So happy birthday to her. Thank you. And totally unrelated to those two things, uh, we're still taking entries at AAA to win a set of Michelin tires, $1,000 value. They'll be installed at one of our approved auto repair shops. Uh, enter to win. Go to uh, AAA.com slash car care. You'll find our car care month. You'll find the entry thing. We make you take a quiz. You don't have to be right, but you take a quiz. It's like, you know, how often should you check your tire pressure? So you go through the little quiz, you you learn something, you put your name in, and you have a what? chance and you have a chance to win. You have a chance to win a thousand dollars worth of Michelin tires. When your car starts riding like that. Yeah, yeah. You check your tire pressure. Paul Paul Sullivan, who is a who is a master of Irish music, yeah. a phenomenal educator knows and knows about nothing cars. about cars. None. None. But that's okay. That's okay. It's, everybody's going to be good at something. Well, you know what's fascinating? I was going to ask you this. Um, you know, the, you know the guy that um, does the the car show on uh, the Sports Channel. Um, you know, the cruising. Um, oh, uh, Paul Manette. Paul Manette, right? That show fascinates me, and I don't know why. I have no, I have no um, joy or love with with classic or old cars or their performance. I don't. But that show fascinates me. Why? I don't know. I, I, I've only seen it because I don't get the sports channel. Oh, okay. um, I've only seen the show a couple of times. Do you know him? I have met him once. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, he seems like a, yeah, he seems like a nice yeah, guy. Yeah. And, and again, there's something, I don't know what it is about the show that if, if I'm flipping by it, I'll stop and watch it. And, you know, I, I have enough appreciation of classic cars to say, wow, that looks cool. Yeah. Or I like that, but I, I don't want to know yeah. much more about uh, it. I stop at the fishing show. I mean, too. I've, I've <laughs> yeah. ridden in most of those yeah. <laughs> So have you. But, but I... <laughs> First off, I like locally produced programs, and that's yes. one of those. And that's why I watch whatever that fishing. The, the oh, John, Charlie. Uh, yeah, that Char- Charlie Moore. Yeah, Charlie yeah. Moore. The, yeah, the, yeah. The, and just because he's a goofball. Yeah, he's and, a goofball. Yeah. Right. And and so I, if I happen to see that for the same thing, there used to be a home improvement guy that was on like New England Cable News, and I loved his say, which is bad for home improvement. He said, we do it right because we do it twice. You know, which, you know, kind of led you to, like, maybe he's not the guy I want to But we only charge you for yeah, once. Yeah, there you go. So, But, yeah, I kind of like that. So, anyway. Uh, well, anyway, if you see Mr. Minette, tell him that I enjoy his show. I, I will. And if he's listening over the vast uh, resources of our broadcast empire, 
Paul, I love your show. There I you don't go. Know why? Right. But I, I, yeah, I well, that's okay. That's okay. Hey, the you can't hear this, but the piano guy's playing in the background. Well, let's see. Uh, I got the exact official U.S. time here. Right. So how well, are we doing? Well, in t- ten in ten seconds, right? Can you tell us what you got going on in the Irish Parade today? Uh, great, great, great music. Stand by. All right, there you go. Great, great, great music. Heard here every Saturday and Sunday. We try on the uh, Irish Parade and the Feast of Irish Music. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye bye.